0: power in
1: your name Jesus is
0: the way you choose to treat people is rooted in some sort of authority figure that teaches you how to treat people. And for Christians, that authority is Jesus. So we choose, as followers of Jesus, to treat people the way Jesus treated people. And when you ask yourself, well, how did Jesus treat people? Did Jesus show preference for those who ascended the social status ladder?
1: How did Jesus treat people? Are you following his example? (laughs) This really is where the rubber meets the road as a follower of Jesus let's be honest, loving others is hard, period. And doing that without being influenced by social status, political differences, or any other factors makes it even harder. Well, today, Pastor Daniel will help you walk through how you can love like Jesus did. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in James chapter 2 as he begins his message, Be Impartial. Jesus
0: So kids say the awesomest things. Don't you know it? There's nothing like kids, right? So so our, our youngest, Annabelle, I love so much. Uh, we have this great uh, nighttime routine where, we, you know, we get Annabelle and, and then she goes, she gets into bed and then my bride Lynn reads with her and then I get called in and I get to, you know, and Lynn prays with her and then I get called in, I get to pray with her and and uh, and then we say goodnight. And so, so last night, my Annabelle and I were hanging out and Annabelle's like, dad, I'm like, yeah, she's like tomorrow's church right and I'm like yeah she's like I like church except dad you just preach too long (laughs) and then she says no offense (laughs) which I just thought was so awesome because because my little Annabelle she's the best and everyone who meets Annabelle knows that Annabelle is CEO material You know, and sometimes I joke that she's a socialist dictator material. Now, I don't want her to be one, but she's got that person, she's got a big personality. And it was just so cute because she's like, you know, you preach too long. And she's like, no offense, because we taught her to say no offense when you share a hard truth. Because Annabelle is one of those people where, where it's like, yeah, she's like, yeah, it's like, we should have shared the truth with you and just leave it there. So we, so we said, no, no, they say no offense after it. So, um, so because Annabelle says, I preached too long, just open your Bibles to James chapter 2. We're going to move this sermon along today. I've received the word. So just go to James chapter 2. We're going to be taking verses 1 to 13. Now, this series in the book of James, we're calling Where the Rubber Meets the Road. Because it's all about what does it look like if you believe in Jesus how does your life change because you believe in jesus because the followers of jesus should look distinct and different from everybody else in our world because we live with a different set of values and motivations if you've been traveling with us in the book of james james chapter two comes after of course james chapter one now James, when he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter, he didn't write chapters, right? The chapters were put in later so we can find it. And at the end of James chapter one, James says that we shouldn't just hear the word, but we should do the word. We call that putting our feet on the word. We should be walking this stuff out. And then James said that one of the ways we walk our faith out by the end of James chapter one, he said that pure and undefiled religion before God is that we would visit widows and orphans in their trouble and we'd keep ourselves unspotted from the world. So James is saying that true faith in Jesus now plays itself out in a desire to live in such a way that we see people who are vulnerable and that in his culture is widows and orphans and we go and we help them. Because of their vulnerability. So there is a way we serve in our world, and then we also keep ourselves unspotted from the world. So we're set apart from the world in which we live. We keep ourselves separate, although we engage within it. And now, as we move into James chapter two, James is moving to well, how should we treat one another in church and in culture? So not just on the, who's on the margins and not just us personally staying unspotted, but how should we treat people? So look at what it says, James chapter 2, verse 1. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and you say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit here at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? Verse 6, but you have dishonored the poor man, does not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you were called? So as it relates to how we should treat other people, there's a simple principle that James is getting at, that you and I, we shouldn't show favoritism. So don't show favoritism. Now what's amazing is, is this is, was written thousands of years ago, but we still have this thing going on today where we have a tendency to show partiality or personal favoritism based on some sort of perceived social status. Now, James is using the example of somebody who comes in in with gold rings and fine clothes, right? Somebody who is rich in that culture. Now, let's just newsflash. A lot of you have rings on, and all of us, you look fine. I'm just kidding. I mean, you might be. I don't know. I didn't see everybody. But but the idea is you're all wearing clothes. So so so, and, and I'm pretty sure that most of you went into a closet. There's other clothes there. And you chose the fine clothes that you're going to wear today. Right? But the example here is somebody who comes in in that culture who has social status and standing as opposed to somebody who comes in who has dirty clothes. Right? And in one case, you say, oh, because you're socially up the ladder here, let me put you in this place of honor, and the person who comes in in the filthy clothes is like, hey, listen, why don't you stand over there? Or you can sit here where my feet are. So really what you see here is that for the follower of Jesus, in a world where we give preference to influencers or celebrities or politicians or people who made tons of money, in the people of God, we choose not to show favoritism. We treat everybody the same. And what I think is so powerful about this, and you really get this from verse one, is that James grounds the ethics of Christians, the way we should treat one another, in Jesus. Notice what it says, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So really, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, now I always say this, but it's true, is that not everyone here at Crossroads are followers of Jesus, right? There's a lot of people here. I believe in Jesus. I'm following Jesus. Others will like, yeah, I'm just here because my friend brought me. I get to go to lunch with my parents after I go to church. So I, I endure the, the message. Thank you, Annabelle, for making it a short one today, you know, and then I can go eat. So everyone's on a different step of your faith journey. But here's what I want to tell you. The way you choose to treat people is rooted in some sort of authority figure that teaches you how to treat people. And for Christians, that authority is Jesus. So we choose, as followers of Jesus, to treat people the way Jesus treated people. And when you ask yourself, well, how did Jesus treat people? Did Jesus show preference for those who ascended the social status ladder? When Jesus chose apostles, did he go on LinkedIn and get everyone's collecting resumes? And who's really got the big platform? Who's got a lot of money? Who's really got all the right credentials? Is that what Jesus did when he chose his apostles? No. He chose a bunch of fishermen. They weren't chosen for anything. But Jesus, is like, yeah, come follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. When Jesus came on a rescue mission to die on a cross, did he die on the cross differently from people of different economic classes or different nationalities? Did he die different ways for different people? No. Jesus died on a cross for all who would believe, no matter what their background is, no matter how much education they have, no matter how much money they have in the bank. And Jesus treated everybody equally when the tax collectors and sinners wanted to hang out with Jesus, would he? Yes. Did he give preference to the religious leaders? No. He straight up ignored Herod. Do you remember that? Jesus wouldn't even talk to Herod. So like Jesus before politically, is like, I'm not talking to you. So Jesus is an example of he treated everybody equally. He didn't give preference to the people who they thought could advance the cause in the social environment. And then James says, you guys should treat people the exact same way. Now you have to ask yourself, how is it that you show differentiation, partiality, favoritism to different people? Let me give you a couple of common ones and you're all not gonna like me for it, but I just gotta do it. How many of you at work Talk to your boss differently than you talk to your coworkers. You know the goody two-shoes, the brown nosers? Yeah, that's favoritism. For those of you in school, how many of you, when the teacher's in the classroom, you are like the perfect little angel, and right as they leave, you're the first one throwing something. I was that person. It's so evil. But again, that's showing partiality. How do you treat the people that you know and see every day as opposed to if your favorite movie star showed up at your house. Oh, right? Or like if if a politician showed up, your favorite politician. I don't know if there is a favorite politician, but if you had one, how would you, like, how would you act? And how many times do you see that, you hear those stories like, you know, like you meet somebody who's famous and then you're like, why did I act like such a weirdo? Well, because you're, Showing partiality. You're not acting normal. (gasps) Right? It's like, all of that is exactly what James is talking about. And we have to make sure that as followers of Jesus, because our who we are is rooted in who he is, that we do not show partiality. That we don't show differentiation or favoritism based on who somebody is. And James is unpacking that for us. Now, this isn't new to the book of James because listen to what it says in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15. It says, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. So he's saying you shouldn't not be kind to people who are impoverished and choose to honor people who have wealth and are mighty, but we should, in righteousness, we should treat people. And brothers and sisters, in righteousness, you should treat people, which means you should treat everybody the same. Don't favor people over people. Really, what we should do is we should treat people the way Jesus did. Jesus, sees everybody created in the image and likeness of God and also fatally flawed by sin. And that's the way we should treat people. And so James is unpacking that. And it's really simple, but it is as common in their culture as it is in our culture. Now, what's interesting here is as it relates to the, the rich person or the poor person, James also wants to bring to light the fact, and something that we need to remember, is that in the first generation of Christians, and really for the first 300 years of Christianity, Christians were primarily socially marginalized. So in the Roman Empire, when Jesus came in that first century, primarily the church was impoverished, and they were persecuted by the establishment, the empire. And if you don't believe me, just read any church history about the first 300 years, right? The church grew extraordinarily in the midst of tremendous persecution, The people who were Christians were marginalized. There was no such thing as meeting in a church like Crossroads. I remember when uh, my bride, Linda, and I, we traveled into the Middle East, and we would go to churches, and the first thing that shocked me, and it really changed my perspective on a lot of things, is we would go to churches, but there'd be no signs on the buildings. I remember we went to this one church, and there was literally armed guards, and there was a gate. You wouldn't even know that it was a church because it looked like every other building. But then when we went on inside, there were believers in there. And I, and I hadn't even thought about the fact that, like, the fact that you can just walk in the doors here. There's a big sign. It says on the street, Jesus is real. Like, we're not very subtle here at Crossroads. <laughs> hey, man, we're talking about Jesus here at Crossroads. And you just roll on in. You roll in however you want to roll in. No matter what your background, you just roll on in at Crossroads. Right? But historically, and in a lot of places, it's not like that. And so for the early church, their belief in Jesus cost them their lives. There was tremendous persecution, first from the Jewish religious establishment and then from the Roman establishment, right? For hundreds of years until the Edict of Toleration and the Edict of Constantine, which then made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. And then Christianity had this privileged place within the power structure of the Western world up until kind of more recently, where now we see the church being more marginalized by the culture. And for those of you who've been alive for a while, and if you've been in Christ for a a while, the transition from the church having a place, uh, a special place within culture to being marginalized is very challenging. But here's what I want to tell you. If you read church history, the church has never been stronger than when it has been marginalized by culture. Because what happens is, is when the church is embraced by the power structures that be, it can rely upon that power structure. But I'm here to tell you, the power structure of government or empire, it's a false power. Because it's not an eternal power. And when the church can't rely upon the government, it has to rely on who? Jesus who the government sits on his shoulders, and of his kingdom, there'll be no end. And I'm not saying that it's easy to transition, because I know a lot of us here, you know, like I, I, I've, I'm i only 45, so my time in the church has always been when the church has been kind of more, I remember when I got saved, when I was a, in college, people were like, you're a Christian? There's no Christians around here. Because like, it was already not cool, you know? And so, But now as as culture progresses, many of you are struggling with it. But here's what I want to show you. Because there's a simple example of how the church can blossom when it's only Jesus. And that's uh, modern-day China. If you read uh, church history at all, when they had that great, uh, they call it the great purge in China, there were Western missionaries in there, uh, Hudson Taylor, if you've never read Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secrets, write it down, phenomenal missionary biography. He, re- he led the China Inland Mission, and literally they purged all Western missionaries out of China, and they're like, we're going to destroy Christianity in China. And you know what happened? The greatest, one of the greatest revivals in history. There are more Christians in China without Western missionaries than there are citizens in America right now. The church was completely underground, completely persecuted, grew like gangbusters, Why? Because the church in China could only rely upon Jesus, not the government. Not the protection of the government, not the the benefits of the government. Now, I'm not saying that I want things to get harder for us, but I'm here to tell you, when we don't show partiality and we root who we are in Jesus, Jesus does a great work. And in a lot of ways, we live in a day and age where our culture teaches us to show partiality to people who vote like you, people who look like you, people who who, who do all these things. And Jesus says, yeah, none of that. So what would it look like for each one of us to choose today to not live with partiality, but to simply trust Jesus and treat everybody the same? It kind of sounds like the kingdom of God, doesn't it? And that's exactly what James is inviting us into. So listen, I always want to encourage you, treat people like people, created by God, sustained by God, created in his image and likeness, flawed by sin, but possible to be redeemed. And that means no matter what their ethnicity is, no matter what their social status is, no matter what their education is, no matter who they vote for, how do we treat people? Exactly the same. Now you might say to yourself, well, Fusco, when you say treat them the same, what do you mean by that? Well, guess what? I'm so happy you asked. Because listen to what it says now. James chapter 2, verse 8, it says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So I would say to you this way, brothers and sisters, you and I, we need to live well. By loving well. We need to live well by loving well. I get to live well. Notice verse eight. It says, if you fulfill the royal law, according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do what? Well. So brothers and sisters, the ways that we treat people as Christians is we live well by loving well. The way we should treat people is with love. Now, if you know the Bible at all, You realize that this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, is a quotation from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, which was quoted by Jesus in Matthew 22, verse 39. When they asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? You got to love Jesus. He's like, you want one commandment? I'll give you two. You shall love your neighbor, or he says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. He gets that from Deuteronomy 6. So, this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here at Crossroads, we call this what? Upward, inward, and outward, right? Jesus says, listen, it's all about God's love for you that's upward. And then God's love for you changes the way you see and love yourself, because I'm here to tell you, you love yourself. The problem is you just do it in a jacked-up way like all the rest of us. So God's love changes the way we see ourselves, because you love your neighbor what? As you love yourself. That's what it means. But then you love your neighbor. It's the way you treat people outwardly. So what's beautiful is James Root's, The ethics of Christianity in the person of Jesus. And he says, if you want to treat people with partiality, how should you do it? You should fulfill the royal law that says love your neighbor as yourself. Now, isn't it cool that he calls it the royal law? That means the regal law. It means the law of the king. See, loving your neighbor as yourself is the way the kingdom of heaven works when Jesus is the center. And it's a royal law. It's not a temporal law where you treat rich people differently than poor people. You treat Republicans different than Democrats. You treat people of different ethnicities differently because of your prejudices or issues. No. He says the royal law is you love the people who are next to you, your neighbors, the way that you love yourself. And I'm here to tell you, all of our life as Christians should be lived through this grid. And I'm here to tell you, it is as challenging to do today as at any other time because the church of Jesus Christ doesn't really want to love their neighbor as themselves all that often. Now, you might say, so go like, like, so how do we do this? Well, it's simple. You ask yourself in every situation, if I was in someone else's situation, the other's situation, how would I want them to treat me in the same situation? And right there, what you're asking is, what does love require of me in the way that I treat people? And that is choosing to love your neighbor. And that word love, it literally means a self-sacrificial love, not a self-exalting love, but a love that is willing to give of itself. And Jesus said this is the greatest commandment. Now James is calling it the royal law. And he's saying that you know you're not living with partiality when you choose to love your neighbor as you love yourself. When you do what you do well. And notice what he says. Because James wants to make sure that nobody misses the point. He says, but if you show partiality, you commit what? Sin. And are convicted by the law as a transgressor. Now... Can James be any more clear than that? He's like, look, if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, you're showing partiality, and that makes means you're committing sin and according to the law, you're guilty. Talk about where the rubber meets the road, huh?
1: Jesus is real. Loving the person next to you like you love yourself, that's a tall order. Sure you can do it once in a while, but living your life within that framework is hard. Today, Pastor Daniel started walking you through what this looks like in your everyday life. He encouraged you to put yourself in the other person's place and think about how you would like to be treated if you were them. He reminded you that this isn't something you can just push to the side and ignore. The Bible is clear that not following this royal law of love is a sin. Hey
0: everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy, and the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstance.
1: You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue on in this exploration of what it means to love without partiality, to love like Jesus. He'll look more at how this can play out in the cultural moment we're in. And he'll also remind you that you have freedom in Jesus. He's covered all of your mistakes. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series called Where the Rubber Meets the Road. Until then, may God bless.